Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. And I'm Freddie. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the political pain of inflation for Rishi Sunak. I'm Anoush Shikelian, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have our political editor, Andrew Marr, our deputy political editor, Rachel Wearmouth, and our political correspondent, Freddie Haywood. Thanks for coming in. We thought we'd delve into the bad economic news for the government today. The latest inflation figures came out yesterday. We're recording on Thursday morning, showing inflation has stuck at 8.7%. And actually, it, rather than coming down, it's made it into the fourth month in a row that price rises have exceeded the forecasts. And not only that, but core inflation, which excludes the price of food and energy, which have been volatile lately, has actually gone up. And to try and tackle this, we expect the Bank of England later to put interest rates up again for the 13th time in a row. Obviously, the political pain here is that people's mortgage repayments are going to massively increase. I think there's 1.5 million people set to remortgage this year. And of course, Rishi Sunak's pledge was to halve inflation this year, which he may still be able to do, but it's looking tighter. I think there's a couple of obvious things to say here, Anush. One one is that older people say, of course, interest rates were much, much higher in my day. They were but of course, the numbers were much, much smaller. So these are very high numbers. And if you look in detail at average household payments and so on, some of these these payments are going to be completely impossible, first thing to say. Second thing to say, British politics generally, and I, I include the Labour Party and the opposition parties, as well as the Conservatives, have got no answer to this, whatever. Third thing, very briefly to say, Rishi Sunak at the beginning of the year gave the country five pledges or promises or ambitions for the year. One was to grow the economy and one was to halve inflation. And it now looks that those two things may be mutually incompatible. These interest rate rises you were talking about, and people are now saying it may top out at 6% eventually, the Bank of England, will almost certainly drive the economy into recession. And we've even had a senior advisor to the Treasury say in terms that the Bank of England must now drive Britain into a recession, must create, quote, the fragility and the uncertainty of a recession to stop firms putting up prices and to stop workers asking for more money. This is an absolutely extraordinary and, in my view, unprecedented situation. Yes. And of course, it it runs counter to everything Rishi Sunak is supposed to stand for. He's not only supposed to be a man who stabilises the economy, but also he's supposed to be the numbers guy. He's the maths to 18 person. And it looks like he completely misread the situation when he was making those pledges you mentioned. 
yeah, I think that's a fair summation of where we are. I think one of the problems he has at the minute is he doesn't seem to have a very solid plan for how to help people with their mortgage costs. While it looks like he's failing on his promises, there's an increasing amount of panic by homeowners worrying about paying their bills and the Rishi Sunak does not seem to have a solid plan to support them at the moment. Well, there was a rumour, wasn't there, though, and pressure indeed from some Conservative politicians, Jake Berry, Jonathan Gullis, to actually help people, give people some relief on their mortgages in order to soften the blow. What's happened to that? Well, the government don't want to do that because they don't want to inject more money into the economy because they think that might stoke inflation even further. But there's an interesting change or pivot going on right now. Rishi Sunak came into government and he basically said, we'll solve inflation. That's our responsibility. And we've talked about this before. Liz Truss made a clear distinction and said, no, that's the job of the Bank of England. And actually what we've seen this week, as Andrew mentioned with some of the advisors and also Mark Harper, the Transport Secretary on Sky last night, is an intimation that maybe the Bank of England has got it wrong in the past. So there's that shift of responsibility. And I think, as I wrote in Morning Call this morning, you can... That's actually a risky strategy. I'm not sure they can pull that off. They spent six months saying, no, we're responsible for this. Luck to us. We'll half inflation. Because in part, they thought that was an easy win. They thought, as many of us did, as we did on this podcast, to be fair, we thought that was going to happen once energy prices fell year on year after the invasion of Ukraine. And if he doesn't achieve that, it's a bit late in the day to go, actually, it was the Bank of England's fault all this time. I think he said it's on me personally, didn't yeah. he? Rishi on Sunak, me personally he didn't. was his phrase, which is actually governments at the moment can't control inflation. It's not their job. And as to the Bank of England, I spoke to Jake Berry this week. And I've also spoke to John McDonnell from the Labour left. And you close your eyes and they were both saying exactly the same thing. The Bank of England, they both said asleep at the wheel, injected far too much money into the economy too early on, then didn't get across inflation until too late and we're all paying the price for it. And they both think, frankly, that the leadership of the Bank of England should be cleared out and replaced. So there is a radicalism which spans both parties, spans the right of the Tory party and the left of the Labour Party. But at the centre, it is still absolutely orthodox Treasury speak. The Labour Party is saying, trust the Bank of England. We made them independent. We trust them too. Jeremy Hunt is saying, at least in public, trust the Bank of England. And it seems that we are now tied to an incredibly orthodox form of economics, which allows no way out beyond, and again, both the main parties are talking about this, putting pressure on the clearing banks and the lenders to treat borrowers more leniently. Mm-hmm. And possibly even occasionally to allow savers a little bit of the huge profits they're making from the price, the price rises. And the only difference that I can see at the moment is that the Tories are more keen to do this by consensus, get the banks around the table at the Treasury, get them to agree that they're not going to repossess homes except under these circumstances, get them to agree that they're going to allow people to switch to interest-only mortgages or whatever it might be. Whereas the Labour Party is saying it shouldn't be a conversation, it should be a demand, it should be an insistence, and perhaps even with the threat of a windfall tax behind it if they don't play ball. But that's the only difference at the moment. Yeah, Rachel, is that enough of a difference for the Labour Party, their plans? I think they've said a few things, haven't they? One is the, and it's an instruction, as we would have had during the pandemic, to, to ensure it happens rather than it being just an urging of banks to do this, allowing customers to, to switch to interest-only payments, like a, hol- a payment holidays. Anybody who wants to take a kind of a holiday from their current payment structures, doing so and seeking support would not affect their credit rating, which is an important signal to yeah. for in terms of social mobility and helping people to stay on a solid path, which has been ignored at other times of financial hardship, for example, during the 2008 crisis. And Rachel, I don't know if you would agree, but I would say these are all useful measures, but they're very small 
given the scale of the crisis facing millions of people around the UK at the moment. Yes, and of course people will be used to those massive measures that governments brought in very recent memory during the pandemic under Rishi Sunak as Chancellor. We've had a lot of polling and we've spoken to Ben Walker, our polling expert, on how the sort of mindset of the nation has shifted slightly into thinking that, you know, governments should have big interventions for crises like this all the time. We saw it with energy costs as well. Will this be a big hit to Rishi Sunak's reputation publicly because people don't see the government helping them like they have done in recent years? Yeah, definitely. I think Rishi Sunak has connected himself to these five pledges, but these five pledges, they run out of date at the end of the year. The election should be coming the year after. So what's he going to do then? I spent, I spoke to three different ministers in the past month and I said to them, what is the Conservatives' vision for the country five years from now? One laughed awkwardly. Another one I said, <laughs> I don't know. And the third one just gave me a garble of abstract nouns. So the, I think they accept the fact that they don't actually have a vision beyond these five pledges. I mean, they can't even deliver those. They're in a really tricky position going forward. And one of the reasons that they don't want to do so at the moment is because they say, if we say we're going to do this and this in the future, they don't have the credibility for the public to listen to them. And they say we need to achieve or deliver these five pledges. And at that point, we'll have the credibility to do so. So if he doesn't deliver on them, the campaign for the next general election is going to be very tricky. It's remarkable how at the beginning of the year, everyone thought that he picked five pledges that would be easily achievable. And he's already in so much trouble. It's pretty... Pretty stunning, really, that it's turned so as quickly as it has. We haven't talked about the debt-to-GDP ratio. We haven't talked about the small boats. And it mm-hmm. seems that the better the weather, the more crossings, and that there's been almost no impact at all from the measures so far. The backlog on processing asylum claims is getting bigger, not smaller. And then, of course, there's waiting lists. How are they possibly going to get waiting lists down, given the state of the staffing and the remaining industrial action inside the NHS? It seems that on almost all the pledges, he may fail. And then, I think more importantly as well, it's about how people perceive him to have done. We had some finally got some great polling out this week about how people understand inflation and what halving inflation means. I think it was a majority of people believe that halving inflation by the end of this year means that next year goods and services will cost either the same or they'll cost less. So people are conflating inflation with affordability, cost of living, because obviously inflation is just the rate at which prices increase. So if you reduce inflation, it just means they're rising less less quickly. So that just the public are expecting him to do something that he's not even saying he's going to be able to do. So they're complete. They're on completely different paths. They're misaligned. Yeah, to be fair to Rishi Sunak, he does keep saying that we have very poor maths education in this country, <laughs> and this may be the best evidence of it so far. Sixty percent of people. Sixty percent. It's crazy. I have to say that that feeling of the government being completely out of touch with people's experience of what's happening is very stark. I was in Newcastle and Jarrow yesterday doing some reporting, and I was going around food banks, and people. This is the people's real experience of this. They're, they are they have empty cupboards. They're having to go to food banks week after week now, whereas usually it would have been a one-off or a first time. And they, I spoke to one mum in her 40s. She'd worked as a care assistant. She had to leave her job in order to be able to look after her kids because her work wasn't going far enough. She was having to use the food bank while working in care. And she said that she's keeping tins behind in her cupboards, not for herself, but for her 14-year-old son and going hungry herself. That is the reality of what some people are experiencing. And that's people who have been working. That's people who are working because, like you mentioned, Andrew, in the NHS as well, salaries just aren't going as far as they used to. Yeah, and one of the one of the biggest problems we have actually we haven't talked about is food inflation. That's the thing that is getting 
more expensive more quickly. And we've seen some of the Monetary Policy Committee kind of put put that at the door of Brexit, Brexit essentially, and pressure on supply chains. Mm. And there are so many long-term problems that are all coming home to bite at this very point. It does feel that politicians are all a bit useless at the moment because you can't change our level of productivity over the last 10 years. You can't change the level of economic growth we've got this quickly within one year and you're not going to be able to solve all of these problems. And they all just feel very a pinch point at the moment. Mm, I remember speaking to a Bank of England economist who was saying the government can't really do much about inflation, but what it can do is introduce policy that mitigates the impact of inflation, particularly on those who are the most vulnerable, like the people who I was meeting yesterday. After the break, we'll have more on inflation and how a Labour government could be different. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Weymouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Got this very strange political period. You've been, Anush, at the pandemic inquiry mm-hmm. and you were talking in this week's magazine about the austerity boys, yes. about Osborne and Cameron, and to a lesser extent Hunt himself, of yes. course, giving evidence about the austerity years. We seem to have gone from a period where we had austerity and a government which barely seemed to believe in the state at all mm-hmm. to, because of the pandemic and the war, a kind of forced socialist government with Tories on top of it, where they've been spending large amounts of money in the economy to support people's energy bills and in all sorts of other ways, eat out, help out and all of that. And that may have created an assumption in the country that if there is a problem, in this case mortgages, a really big government spending plan is the answer. Yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting. Which becomes unsustainable. Yes, exactly. Because I I was at the inquiry and it did feel very jarring, the defence of austerity in this era of, as you say, expectation of big government interventions and a robust state that is resilient enough to cope with crises like the ones that we're going through. Which leads us, and I I saw Freddie shaking his head very gently (laughs) at what I was saying, so I'll let him come in just a second, but leads me to my obsession at the moment, which is the sheer horrifying scale of the challenge ahead for the future Labour government, because I think there will be a Labour government, that's the way things are going. There's almost a fatalism inside this government. They know what's going to happen in the election. They know, as Freddie was saying, they haven't really got a plan for the next five or ten years. It's kind of over, this period of Conservative England. But Labour are going to come in and they're going to inherit awesome problems. And at the moment, they are sticking very strongly with an orthodox economics, which may not be able to see them through. 
Yeah, I think this is one of the problems that Labour are trying to claim the mantle of fiscal responsibility, but what they say now impacts what they can do if they do get elected. And that's one of the concerns. If you do set these guardrails around fiscal policy, around the natural debate of economics, then you almost have to live up to them when you're in government. If they do want to shift the dial, make our debt conversation much more long term, make it about economic growth, say that if you invest in the economy and then you get a return 10 years, 20 years down the line, that makes sense. Then they need to be careful at the moment about going so hard in the government for spending, going so hard on fiscal responsibility and being so cautious in their language because they might in the end, create guardrails that they don't want to abide by. That's why I think they should stop talking about the tax burden, talking about tax in a negative way, because they are obviously going to have to introduce taxes to pay for some of the things that they will desperately need to do when they get into office. And I think you talked about a fatalism on the Tory side. I think there is a little bit of that on the Labour side in the sense that I've spoken to MPs who have said, I think people expect us that when we get in, which we think we will, we're going to be able to make tangible changes in people's lives quickly. We're not, because the money isn't there. And I think there's a bit of nervousness there, as well as an anticipation that they will finally be back in power again. There are things that they can do, I must say, without spending a lot. For instance, look at their labour market reforms and their collective bargaining reforms and their workers' rights reforms. These are big things that are are. basically regulation. They could do so without spending a lot of money. It's a really big one as well. A big change. Yeah, no. I was just going to go, I think everything that Labour is saying at this point is aimed at solving their brand problems, which would be around spending and would be around tax. And it's, I don't know how useful most Labour politician statements are until we get that final fiscal statement exactly. bef- before, before the election. And then I guess we'll see the colour of their money. At the minute, it's all political position, it feels. I was talking to a very senior former Labour figure. I won't say, who said what people don't yet understand, however, is just how different it will feel with the Labour government. That in itself will make a big change to the mood of the country. Having And I think having a, a country where the people in charge of the big departments are people like Keir Starmer, working class boy made good, Angela Rayner with her backstory, Wes Streeting, East, extraordinary East End background. So in other words, people who come from working class or lower middle class families who have kicked and fought their way up bike of self-discipline, determination, grit, eloquence, etc., rather than the Etonian kind of inner circle of bosh boys. I think that in itself will make this country feel very different. Economics still matters more than any of that, but it's an important change we shouldn't forget. Yes, actually, I was speaking to Wes Streeting for a different piece that we're running soon, and he was making that point that when Labour gets in, there will just automatically be this sort of warmth towards the NHS, for example, that's part of his brief, that will encourage some people perhaps to come back and and work in the NHS who have left it. It sounded quite optimistic to me, but I think, yeah, that is the optimistic view of coming into government with not much money to spend. We shouldn't overplay the fact that the Conservatives have been damning or criticising the NHS. They re- also recognise that it's a, a national religion or whatever. They're not, they often praise it. So I don't think it's, you can't place too much emphasis on the rhetoric and the vibes of it all. Yeah, that, I think that they, he was basing that at that point on vibes because I said, would you give more money for, to people to yeah. come back? And he was like, well, I everything has to be, might be fully costed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we'll be back discussing this next time we get the next inflation figures. But thanks so much for coming in, all of you. Thank you, Nish. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to answer on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us or in the YouTube comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shikelian, and my colleagues, Andrew Marr, Rachel Wearmouth and Freddie Hayward. We'll be back tomorrow to answer your questions in our next episode, You Ask Us. 
Follow us on your podcast app to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. You can also watch video from this podcast on our YouTube channel. Just search YouTube for The New Statesman. We're produced by Adrian Bradley. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.